Chapter 49 Farewell to Asphodel The next weeks were strange ones at Asphodel. Daddy spent the vast majority of his days with us at home, leaving from time to time only to run some errand in Pierre or swing by the mine. One Tuesday morning, an unfamiliar man dropped by the house. He wore a dark, trim suit and spent three hours behind the closed door of Daddy's study. The following Friday, he showed up again. On this occasion, Daddy also ushered Abigail and Eli into his study, and all four spent the better part of an afternoon speaking in muffled voices. When I worked up the courage to ask Daddy what he was up to, he merely winked and said, You'll find out soon enough. Three days later, a different well-dressed gentleman came by. He carried with him a leather valise so polished it shone. Again behind a closed study door, Daddy regaled him with a veritable violin concerto lasting well over an hour. But it wasn't until Jacob Jansen showed up at our front door one week later that I began to solve some of the mystery. Good morning, Peter he said briskly and with a congenial tip of his hat. I stepped aside to let him in the door. This was the first I had seen of him since chauffeuring him to the aisle. I expected the miraculous encounter with his deceased daughter might have changed him into an entirely different person, but he remained as serious and businesslike as ever, though perhaps not so brusque as before. Good morning, I replied and I closed the door behind him. I came by to see your father, he informed me, as he removed his bowler and hung it on the hat rack. I'll show myself into his study, thank you. Once he had closed the study door behind himself, I crammed my ear against it to glean whatever information I could. Their conversation was as winding as a mountain road, roaming from business to side notes to personal matters, even to jokes. But by the end of the long gab session, one thing was clear. Daddy was selling his stake in their mining enterprise. After Mr. Jansen left, I tried playing dumb about his visit, but when Daddy saw me lurking in the great room, he flashed a knowing grin and said, Get your brother and bring him here. I suppose it's time I shared what's going on with you boys. Inside his study... Daddy drummed his fingertips nervously on his desk as we waited for Pip. My little brother had insisted on first procuring a snack for himself, and I didn't need Sherlock Holmes to detect that Daddy was anxious to reveal his clandestine goings-on of the past weeks. When Pip sat beside me with a handful of chocolate sandwich cookies, Daddy leaned forward and said, I know you've both been wondering what I've been up to this last month. I kept it a secret till now because I wanted to be sure everything was set in stone. He sighed, hesitant to continue. It was clear he was worried how Pip and I would react. Just tell us, I begged. My heart was ready to pop out of my chest in a pulpy mess. If Daddy didn't reveal himself immediately he would soon find another dead son on his hands. He took a deep breath, closed his eyes, and made the announcement as quickly as he could. 
We're leaving Asphodel Glade, he said. Pip and I exchanged looks of surprise. I sold my portion of Luther and Jansen coal, Daddy continued. To Mr. Jansen, actually. The three of us are moving to Philadelphia. What will we do there? I asked, too surprised by the news to betray much reaction, either positive or negative. I'll be doing what I love, said Daddy. I'll be playing violin for the Philadelphia Orchestra. Well, only as a stand-in at first. Turns out they don't give away the full-time spots to any old person who walks in off the street. To support us in the meantime, I've also bought your Opa's old pharmacy, the one I practically grew up in, and I'll spend part of my time managing that. It'll be nice to see the old place up and running again. Daddy stood. He walked around the desk to crouch in front of me and Pip. Grabbing each of us by a shoulder, he said, And as I do all that, I'll be taking care of the two most important people in my life. My boys. Pip, who always possessed a penchant for overlooking the subtext, asked his next question through a mouthful of cookie. What'll me and Peter do? Oh, you'll do lots of things, Daddy answered. You'll go to school during the day, and you'll do your homework at night. You'll help me at the pharmacy. You'll go to church and Sunday school and learn your Bible stories. You'll make friends and play with them. Sometimes maybe you'll even let me in on some of your games. I suppose you'll do just about everything boys your age are supposed to do, Pip. But who's going to take care of the castle home? I asked with concern. I would soon leave the only home I had ever known, and the sorrow of it was creeping in on me. I think it's only fitting, said Daddy, for that honor to go to Asphodel's oldest residence. Technically, it'll still belong to us, but I've given control of it over to Abigail and Eli. They'll stay here like always, taking care of it and using it however they see fit. But will we ever come back? I asked. Tears were swimming before my vision, but I didn't want to cry. I had wasted too much of the past months in tears, and I suspected Daddy's decisions were meant to be happy ones for us all. Daddy grabbed my hands in his own and squeezed them. Of course we'll come back, he assured me. We'll visit as much as we can, but there are too many ghosts and too much guilt for me to stay here. I hope you can understand. I did. Although I was too choked up to speak, I put flesh to my mind by hugging him tightly. My daddy had come back. I would have given up a thousand asphodels to keep him here. When I regained control of my emotions, I asked, When are we leaving? Soon, he answered but we won't be going to Philadelphia right away. First, we'll take that trip out west that I promised you. We'll see all those places Walter wanted to go, and afterward, we'll come back here and tell him all about it. With a tranquil and contented grin, he added, Besides, what I need more than anything right now is to spend some quality time with my boys. 
I wish I could report that life beyond the shadows of Asphodel Glade was perfect, that our years were filled with nothing but sunshine and prosperity, that when we left Lake Acheron, we left with it all our haunted memories and bitter traumas. But that's not what happened, because that's not how life works. There were still countless bouts of grief and tears for Daddy and Pip and me, some days, especially on Mama's and Walter's birthdays and death days, the pain was so fierce, I thought for sure it would bury me. And even though much healing had occurred during that final trip to the Isle, it didn't mean the three of us were immune to strains and rifts in our relationships with each other, many of them born of buried anger and guilt over the events of late 1918 and early 1919. Nor did it mean that Daddy, just because he had decided upon sobriety, was immune from then on to the bottle's beckoning whispers. No, despite the promise he had made and remade a hundred times over, he did periodically drink himself into oblivion during our first few years in Philadelphia. It was only when he discovered twelve-year-old Pip drunk as a skunk one night that he finally rid our home and himself, of the booze for good. He simply refused from that time onward to imprint such an image upon his boys. And so it was done. Our puppy, Mama's final living gift to us, joined us in moving to Philadelphia. After much debate, we finally came to a unanimous consensus in naming him Yosemite, just as Walter had wanted to do when we first found the dog tied up at the tree cave. For over a decade, he proved to be a good and faithful companion, until the day he slipped peacefully away in his sleep to join Mama, Walter, and Hattie on the far side of Acheron. Like every other kid who moves away from home, Pip and I attended new schools. We made new friends and enjoyed new big city experiences. Before long, Philadelphia began to feel more like home, and Asphodel Glade like some long vacation we remembered in our dreams and daydreams. But when school let out each year, for one week at the beginning of summer break, we would return to our castle home. Each time I would borrow Eli's canoe, I would paddle out to the island where so much had happened in such a short span of my childhood. I would climb Emerald Hill and walk the forest paths. I would meander to the place where Hattie's treehouse had sat perched aloft in the trees. I would return to the hallowed grounds where Mama's vast gardens and idyllic cottage once stood. But each year the trails became more overgrown until the underbrush eventually reclaimed them entirely. The old oak's arms, which had once held a palace upon them, remained bare but for their creeping green mosses. And Mama's magical home remained nothing more than a memory, uprooted and reclaimed by the broken-down shack which had previously occupied the untamed clearing. After my first year at the University of Pennsylvania, I finally put my yearly ritual to rest. I figured it was time. The dead had moved on. Even Castor and Pollux, the strong stallions of my youth, had made their journey beyond. 
Whatever magic once inhabited the isle across Lake Acheron, if it had ever really been there at all, could summon them to my side no more. And so I moved on too. I graduated summa cum laude and became a Boeing airplane engineer. That meant relocating to Wichita, Kansas, where I met a nurse named Jolene, who helped sew my fingers back together after a crazy blender accident. Within that same calendar year, she became my wife. Two, four, and six years after we tied the knot came our three wonderful children. Gregory, Charlie, and Walter. All boys. Beautiful, unique, flawed boys. On the night of May 16, 1954, I peeked into their respective bedrooms to whisper a quiet goodbye as they slept. I needed that last look to tide me over until they, along with Jolene, could join me at Asphodel Hall. This happened less than an hour after I had received the telephone call from Pastor Wainwright. He told me there had been a massive heart attack. He told me John Luther, my daddy, was dead. <laughs>